0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Early Parenting Podcast. In today's episode, I am bringing you another interview-style podcast episode. You actually are going to be getting two interview-style podcasts in a row, which is not what I usually do, but I had to bring you this interview ASAP, especially given the current lockdown 2.0 that Victoria is experiencing right now. I'm currently running a pop-up Facebook group and it is so evident after talking to all the pregnant mums and the new mums in that group how many, many mums pregnant or with new babies are struggling with, especially with this 2.0 lockdown. And look, I can relate. I think this second lockdown has been trickier I guess we all had our freedom back a little bit, didn't we? (laughs) And it's been very hard when it's been taken away again. So in today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Patrick Maloney and his lovely wife, Bridget Maloney, who are from Grow My Baby. And what we're doing is a real Q&A style podcast episode. And we are touching upon a lot of the stuff that's going on due to the coronavirus pandemic. There is um, some questions in here that are beyond just the coronavirus, but it's so fantastic that if you're pregnant, it's a must listen so that you can sort of understand how to best advocate for yourself during this coronavirus time, how to make the most out of pregnancy care when care doesn't look the way it usually looks. And we just cover so much awesome content. So I really hope that you enjoy today's episode. I absolutely loved recording this with Patrick and Bridget, and I can't wait to bring it to you. So enjoy. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, where we help you navigate the somewhat tricky world of parenthood so you can love the crap out of being a mama. I'm your host, Jen Butler, and I'm an early parenting consultant and a mama of two busy, busy boys. Join me as I explore all things early parenting and deliver them to you in toddler-friendly bite-sized lessons. Because let's be honest, your toddler is probably smothering pseudo-cream on the wall as we speak. I'll be dropping my hottest tips on baby and toddler sleep, feeding, boobs, behavior, and so much more. Are you ready to feel confident in motherhood? Let's dive in. Hello, welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, Bridget and Pat, very happy to have you on today. Hi, Jen, how are you going? Oh, very well. Now, I'm going to let you guys do a little bit of an introduction of who you are for all of the listeners on the podcast.
1: Patrick Maloney is my name. I'm an obstetrician and gynecologist based in Ballarat in Victoria, and uh, my wife, Bridget, and I run a pregnancy education program called Grow My Baby. And we're also the hosts of a pregnancy podcast called The Kick Pregnancy Podcast.
2: Mm. And we've also got four boys, which, you know, all up, everything keeps us very busy. Mm. We have a private practice here in Ballarat where there's been lots of babies that have been born.
1: They have, even in these crazy times.
2: Crazy times. Mm. And you know what I feel is it's only going to get crazier because what better thing to do than get pregnant? When you're in a pandemic. (laughs) Well, do you know what we're hearing, Jen? People are asking us about that and they're saying, you know, we've put our baby plans on hold. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've heard as many people say that we're going to put it all on hold Mm. as I've um, heard people say, we're going to have a baby because we've got nothing else to do.
0: Well, it's funny because that's that's where my mind went. Like the whole, oh, do we have a third? Like I've got my two boys and I'm like, oh, do I have a third? And I thought, geez, I wish that I had known that a pandemic was going to hit because... I'm sitting at home doing nothing anyway. I made yes. knocked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also
2: for someone that maybe has had their, you know, first, second, third, yeah. It it would be okay, I think. But mm. for our first-time mamas, there's just so much stress. And actually there's so much that's being sort of spread on the internet in media that kind of actually increases the anxiety that women are having at the moment we feel very sorry for them it's like this rite of passage that they're all missing out on you know that's the loss of uh the morning teas when they leave work it's the baby moves it's the baby showers you know all of those things as a first-time mum we wish that people could have yeah yes and this has become
0: hugely apparent to me in that i've got a um, pop-up facebook group at the moment happening and a lot of the women in there are pregnant and I've sort of had these, you know, questions going out to the mums every day and geez, it's opened my mind into exactly what they're mourning. Mm. And it is, it's the, I mean, I've had some mums who are like, look, this is my first pregnancy. I don't know any different, but I mean, you kind of do because you see what everyone else does. Like the the gender reveal parties, the baby showers, like, as you said, the last morning teas, even when you're working from home, like you're not seeing the start. Like no one's going to be chucking you a Zoom morning tea to send you off a mat leave, are they? Like, oh, we have actually seen that. People oh, are doing that. Yeah. that makes me happy. That makes that me is, happy.
1: Yeah, that is a thing, and workplaces should be really trying to do that because yeah, yeah. Uh, it's important. These are these rites of passages are enormously important to us as human beings, yeah. and I'm hearing more about being ripped off. From that, yeah. than I am about people seriously worried about catching COVID mm. or the pandemic really seriously affecting the way that their baby is um, is born. In particular, how what's my experience going to be like when I go to the hospital, mm. oh, and what yes. will it be like if my mum can't come on the first day, and mm. people can't come with flowers and all?
2: Yeah, that. yeah, and and if it is their second, then they the sibling can't come in to meet the yeah. new baby. Yes. And, mm yeah
0: and this is something like a girlfriend of mine recently had a baby and that was a huge thing for her is that their first daughter couldn't come in you know so i think it was day oh, five or whatever discharge mm-hmm. while she was post caesar so she you know and like those five days she didn't have that opportunity for the
2: brother and sister to meet like it's, it's just know. yeah it's yeah. huge so well, what we're hearing on the flip side of that though is that the midwives are saying that it's much calmer like they're oh. able to look after the mums in the hospitals more diligently. You know, they don't have to sort of move a visitor out of the way to help that woman establish breastfeeding. Yep. So there's this calming uh, effect that's happening that was probably yes. unanticipated un- yeah. and not talked about.
1: It's true. So the hospital's a lot quieter in general. Mm. The corridors are, are more empty and peaceful. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a small upside that the, the mums have more time to do those critical bonding and establishment of feeding things in the first couple of days uh, than they usually have because there's constant stream visitors mm.
0: yes and this is something that's always been i remember working at the royal women's in melbourne and i hated visiting hours like from a midwife's point of view because you could not get in to do any of your, like the supporting, like, and and discharge times now are getting shorter and shorter. These women are being sent home without really having that knowledge and skills on how to breastfeed. And so the breastfeeding rates were atrocious and like, it's so exciting to show off your baby, but really the focus of those early days and weeks really should be about minimal visitors focusing on, learning these new skills and then sort of welcoming in those visits. Oh, yeah, it's just absolutely a girlfriend had a baby in the last round. And she said that it was the best thing ever because she just focused on breastfeeding. And now I haven't looked into this research, but I really have to, but apparently the breastfeeding rates have increased because there's more people being able to just focus on learning that skill and yep. less of that interruption of, you know, I've got a visitor here or my father-in-law's just popped around. I'm going to, I don't want to breastfeed in front I know, of me. Like yeah. how awkward, you know? Yeah. First time Mo-
1: Yeah.
2: Yes.
1: So wouldn't it be awesome if the data supports that conclusion? Because that would be a real silver lining to all of this 100%. crap.
2: There was another silver lining. The uh, rate of prem- prematurity has dropped.
1: Yeah. That's, oh my that, gosh. That's extraordinary. Isn't it? That's being reported all around the world. We still don't know exactly why that's happening. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was, I was about to say, what is the rationale behind that? But that that's incredible. That's an incredible statistic. Yep. I can't wait to see. I know that when we're stuck in the middle of this pandemic that, like, I mean, I, it's so important to focus on silver linings right now, but mm. I can't wait to actually look back at this in retrospect and draw on the silver linings and actually have that, yeah, as you said, like the data to say, wow, look at what this did and perhaps we need to, in a way, be able to, you know, take the wisdom from what happened during this time and roll with the good stuff that did happen. Obviously we don't want to isolate everyone forever, but there's going to be pros that we do and should continue.
1: Exactly right.
0: All right. Now (laughs) today's episode I had, I asked my audience some, you know, well, I asked them what they wanted to see on the podcast. And a lot of it was around some of this pregnancy stuff, which was absolutely amazing. But definitely after all of this, head on over to the kick because, wowee, I was going through all your episodes too and I was just like, I want to go back and listen from, I think from the start, like your first episode was something about being an ovulation ninja. Yes. And I was like, do you know how many, I remember, and I'm sure mums can relate to this, that when you go to try for a baby and you're like, all right, I need to work out the inner workings of my body. When am I ovulating? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, and I was like, damn it, right. why didn't I have that episode all the way back then?
1: <laughs> Tons of people are saying that to us, aren't they? Oh They're God, saying, I wish so I had good. this back when I was yeah. um back when I was pregnant.
2: Even even saying the term ovulation ninja, like I love it. Like people It are is adopting such that. a good
0: term. <laughs> I truly believe this is
2: me going off topic, but I truly believe that
0: I think sex ed is so bad in schools because, you know, well, first of all, you're not even taught any of this stuff. But then mm. when you do go to have a baby, you just assume it's going to happen. Everyone's told that you just ovulate day 14. That's, you know, everyone just mm. ovulates day 14. I'm like, no, you don't. There's yes. such variations. And mm-hmm. so many women might be hitting that, like issues in falling pregnant
2: because they just told that, like, yeah. and don't actually know what they're looking for in their bodies. What we would hope, I'm getting tingles just thinking about it, is that one day the sex ed in schools isn't just sex ed. The women, the girls, get taught really well about their body. They get to identify what a heavy period is. They get to identify whether theirs is abnormal compared to their friends. They then start sort of self-identifying to their GPs and their doctors saying, look, my period isn't normal because a lot of women, I know this is not about pregnancy, but, you know, (laughs) it all helps. Uh, A lot of girls put up with period pain and periods that keep them from school, uh, you know, lost days of school, well into their 20s. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden they try to get pregnant and then we're back to square one.
1: I mean, if you look at something like the known delay that it takes for a woman with obvious symptoms to eventually be diagnosed with endometriosis, uh, some of it is... Some of it's doctors not doing a terrific job, but some of it's patients not understanding that their symptoms are abnormal Mm, and that's an education problem.
0: Yeah. I am 33 now and I, to be perfectly honest, have only just really understood even about the mood changes that happen throughout your cycle. Mm. And I read this book, Period Power by Maisie Hill, I think it is. It's, you know, empowering women to understand fully their cycle and what's the difference between a normal period, an abnormal period. Why do I feel so low just before I get my period? Why Mm. am I so low that it's actually almost like a depressive, you know, episode Mm. sort of, you know, just like, it's just once you understand knowledge is power and, oh, it just, it's changed my life to a certain degree. Like it doesn't change the way I feel necessarily, but at least I understand it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic.
0: All right. So what I thought is that we'd start off with some of the questions that my lovely listeners and followers on Instagram have asked. And the first one was around how to make the most of your pregnancy care during a pandemic. So a lot of this came up from, you know, mum sort of saying that a lot of them haven't been in to hospital as much or, and just that fear around, is their baby okay? So with a reduced face-to-face interaction, have you? got any advice on ways that mums can make the most out of this crazy time
1: yeah sure do so i think that one of the things that we've noticed is that uh, whether you're having your pregnancy care through a uh, through a, a hospital antenatal clinic or privately with a private obstetrician or whichever model of care that you've got a lot of that has moved from face to face to phone or online yeah. and it's surprisingly adequate mm. to consult that way but you can't do it all, some of it has to be face-to-face. So so what I'm recommending to the patients that I see both in the public and the private sector is make sure that the non-face-to-face meetings are as good as possible. Otherwise your carer might just go, how are you? Fine. Is your baby moving? Yep we'll see you next week <laughs> yes. because, because, you know, without the ability to examine you and listen to the fetal heartbeat, fetal movements are probably the best, the best way we can work out that the baby's okay. And then they might say, you know, you've got any questions or whatever, but it really falls, I think at the moment more than ever for the pregnant woman to be motivated and to come to that non face-to-face meeting on zoom or, uh, on, um, or on the phone with a shopping list, Mm. of of questions concerns and topics for discussion and most of them won't require an examination to up to for the carer to answer but there's something about a face-to-face consultation where stuff comes up and Mm. it gets discussed Mm. but there's something about a relatively closed distance telehealth consultation where it doesn't so you need to make it come up.
2: Yep. Yeah. Don't, just don't be embarrassed about yeah. asking silly questions. I'm guessing you're going to come to this, but we're with our Grow My Baby program, people come into that program and they get all the content every day. Each trimester, they get uh, sort of 12 to 18 bundles of content. But then they come over to the live group every two weeks and they get to ask their questions and our big thing is there's no silly questions no no like if you need to ask whether a skincare product on your face is good or bad ask that question who else are you going to ask that question to so you know just don't be embarrassed about any silly question that you might have and what women
0: do is they jump on old mate dr google yep yep and you have to be asking these questions to a reputable source because Dr. Google can tell you whatever Dr. Google wants to bring up, really. You know, it's not safe and it's good for families to know that there's a good place to go with reputable information. So Mm. I love that advice, though. Like, you know, there's no silly question. Go prepped in. And I think that there's something probably about that not having the face-to-face that people feel like perhaps they're not getting that same amount of care. But at the end of the day, the health of your baby comes down to you Honing in on that, like a, a active baby is a healthy baby,
2: yeah.
0: And you know, obviously, there's still going to be that face to face stuff, but yeah, going in prepped with what you need to ask is pretty good advice, I reckon.
1: And for people who you know who have got a really a good sound source of pregnancy information and education, you know, a lot of people are saying to me, I feel really, I really bummed that the hospital antenatal classes aren't on. Mm. And to be honest, I'm saying to people, look, they're not that great
0: (laughs) i know
1: there tends to be like two evenings yeah in in two one hour sessions with a tea break in the middle they're trying to cover the entirety of what what you need to know yeah it's always interrupted by one of the dads fainting (laughs) (laughs) and they're not that good they're not that no, good so, i agree so, so i see this as a real opportunity for people to get out and find, find some oh, pregnancy education that's actually actually good
2: and postpartum yeah. stuff too so yeah. I, I know that the um the ones that we were holding in our rooms the second session was all on postpartum stuff so breastfeeding and sleep and all the rest and i'm thinking okay this is in you know, a like two and a half hour session I know like yeah. I
0: think about what's in my course the happy baby code which is the postpartum to you know four months sort of thing and there's there's about I think I've calculated there's about 12 hours of content in there mm. you know so trying to condense that and I remember as a midwife I used to you know the things you would tick off there was literally a list of the things you needed to educate families on and one of them mm. was your baby bath like how to bath a baby and yeah. I, I, you know what, like at the end of the day, it's actually, as long as you keep your baby's head out of water, you're actually kicking goals in how to <laughs> like, There's no real, like I know they're slippery little suckers, but yeah, they do get slippery. <laughs> that I kind of look back at it now. I'm like, geez, I wish I'd spent that extra hour talking about newborn sleep expectations or yeah. Yeah. I don't know, anything that was just a little bit more practical yes um, but it's right i will say too it's right of passage doing that baby bath so don't i don't yeah. want anyone to think i'm anti-baby bath i think it's a lot of fun actually and i used to love the crap out of bathing little babies geez i just need if to have it on your own now,
2: i certainly didn't <laughs> <laughs> well they are slippery little suckers aren't they, they? Sure are. <laughs> i still don't like bathing the six and the eight-year-old but anyway we get i to know.
0: Do that sometimes. <laughs> i know at least oh, i hate bath time here because it ends up being water all over the wall yeah and God sakes, boys! Will you stop? Yeah, just keep in the bath. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So the next question that I had was all around planning for a cesarean section. So for many women, they have planned seizures or there is an outcome that they have a emergency seizure. Sure. So in those scenarios, this mum who asked this question, she wanted to know about the best way, like. I guess both in a planned and an emergency obviously adds a little bit more, you know, stress to the situation. Mm-hmm. But in those scenarios, how can mums best advocate for the skin-to-skin, the early breastfeeding, all of the things that potentially a caesarean and post-stop recovery and all of that might interfere with?
1: It does depend a lot on whether we're talking about a emergency or a yeah. planned section. But there are some things that you should still expect, I think. And those would be that after the baby is out and as long as mother is safe and the bleeding from the part of the uterus that's been opened to get the baby out is is well controlled by the obstetrician and the assistant who are performing the caesarean section, then there really is an opportunity at that point for relatively normal, uh, immediate postpartum things to happen. So Mm. for example, there's often time for delayed cord clamping mm, uh, to, let the, to let the cord come into the, the cord blood come into the baby. And
2: that's not long. That's about one or two minutes. Isn't yeah, it doesn't it? take yeah. long.
1: And if the bleeding from the uterus is under control, then you don't need to whip the placenta out straight away. You can wait for that. Have no trouble routinely doing that at planned sections and most emergency sections because the emergency is kind of over yes. when, the, when the baby's out and things like skin to skin contact while still on the operating table i think is perfectly reasonable for the woman to expect and it's easy enough to do remember at cesarean sections the babies come out with a, a quite a bit of water still in the lungs and the uh, and the um, respiratory tract, and they need a, often need a bit of a kickstart, a bit of a suctioning of the airway maybe, maybe some drying off and, a, and to be wrapped up because it's cold in the operating theatre. But apart from that, the paediatricians w- should be able to get a well baby straight back to mum mm. long before I'm finished the operation. Mm. So while I'm still stitching away, going through the layers and stitching up, I, I really expect in a lot of cases the baby would be mm. back with mum on the other side of the drapes and uh, able to be unwrapped a little and then mum's gown comes off a little bit and we still have skin to skin or even baby on breast while the uh, operation is still going
2: yeah and they, they come back to the mum wrapped, wrapped up like a burrito like you just said mm-hmm. but you just ask the midwife can you help mm-hmm. me unwrap my baby yeah. or the midwife might be onto it straight away unwrap the baby baby goes skin to skin.
1: Yeah. And these are reasonable things to expect. Yeah. And the other thing that's really to expect is keeping the family together in recovery. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So, you know, after any operation and and cesarean section is no exception, you don't go straight back to your bed in the hospital. You go to a recovery room and that you get observed for 30 or 40 minutes to make sure that there are no immediate complications from that operation, that you're breathing properly. And that happens after cesarean sections as well. And it's, perfectly reasonable for a family to expect to stay together mm. in that so parents and baby and that they won't be unreasonably separated during that critical first hour.
2: Yeah I remember the time when our uh, third or fourth was born and it was cesarean for us and I was being wheeled back to the recovery room and the hospital's policy was that the mum couldn't hold the baby while she was on the trolley being wheeled back to the recovery room mm. and if that was the case then um, Pat was holding the baby as we were walking along, so you know that might be one time where the mum doesn't have the baby on her chest. Mm. Just depends on the hospital policy. Yeah,
1: but the family's still the family's together. still together, which is mm. super important. Mm. Yeah, and and they shouldn't be special requests. Yeah, people should consider those things to be normal.
2: Yeah, and
1: and I think that if if the hospital can't provide that, then you then you really do an explanation as to why not. Why
2: not? Yeah, yeah. another thing that we said in our podcast on cesarean sections as part one and part two was that, you know, the father could say what the sex of the baby is. Yes. As well. So, you know, they could be the first to see the baby and say, yes, Uh, Bridget, we've had another boy. (laughs) Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. Like, and that's it. I think um, it's about knowing, I think, you know, and I think in in some families perception is that they don't have a say in this, like Mm. that they just have to let things happen to them. Yes. And if you know that this is a reasonable expectation, then whether it's a conversation you obviously have before it even ha- like for a planned Caesar, this is a conversation that you can have as part of your birth plan. But even in the way of an emergency Caesar, as long as the bubs well, then you can just, if it hasn't happened automatically, then no one's going to care if, if you, if you said to them, can you, as you said, can you just unwrap my baby? I want to do skin to skin. Like mm. sometimes I think when you're, the health professional in there that sometimes you're so focused on your job right now that you forget that sort of thing but it doesn't mean that you're not willing to do it yeah. so if a parent knows that they can ask it yeah. then they should
1: yeah and we, we need to remember that these are things that we've told people are important so we shouldn't be surprised when they say isn't this important so you know so we, we we've got to practice what we preach
0: yes absolutely and that that's it like if if everything can go well. And I love that you, that it's encouraged for that whole family unit to stay together because my memory of working, it's been a while since I've worked at the hospital, but I don't remember dad being there. And that just makes me think, geez, I wish that we had been encouraging for dad was with the baby, I'm sure. And was away from Mum. I don't know, maybe my memory is a little bit sketchy, but that just makes me think like if that, has happened to you in the past and you want that to be different you can so that's awesome
1: yeah quite reasonable to expect and i think some very old hospitals with very crowded and busy recovery wards have been a bit resistant to that but Mm -hmm. the dad and the baby don't take up that much extra room
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: there's a problem with people being um, separated mostly that they start to think that something's wrong yeah And it might just be a minor procedural delay that's led to the fact that mum and baby don't kick up to the ward for, it might be an hour instead of 45 minutes, but you start to wonder what's wrong. Mm.
0: That's right. Dad's sitting in the room waiting with his new baby Probably going looking at this little baby, going, Okay, what do I do with you? My yeah. <laughs> mom, are you coming yet? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so mom, hopefully in 20... I
0: don't know what to do either.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hopefully, in 2020, the only real ex- exemption to that is if the baby has to go to the nursery.
0: Yes, true. That's right. And I think, look, the beauty about this world is that we're learning more and things yes the research might say something it can sometimes take a little while for it to really come into consistent practice in hospitals but if families know what their rights are and what's best for the baby it's just it's that empowerment isn't it and knowing how to advocate for yourself and for your family awesome so the next question from another one of my followers was just she wanted to know about the implications of cesarean sections long term so you know, in terms of future births, in terms of, I guess, health beyond childbearing years, those sorts of potential implications?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent question. And it's a little complicated, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. let's take, for example, a planned cesarean section that's being recommended because of, well, let's take an obvious example because of placenta previa. The placenta is covering the inside of the cervix a baby can't get out and the only way to have a safe birth is by cesarean section well in that situation we just have to do what we're advised if it's as simple as that trying to have that baby uh, vaginally would be impossible or extremely dangerous then we're sort of stuck with that decision even if it has consequences for us in the months and years to come after the birth Mm. i think people get a bit more worried about the, uh, perhaps not as not as not as hard an example as that, but another example where it might just be a little bit wiser to have the baby by cesarean section, but maybe they could have a, a vaginal birth as well, and then people start to to, to worry more about the consequences of their uh, decision. So, the major consequences really let's say the decision to have a caesarean section on this occasion has been made by the patient and the and the carers in discussion. It comes down to the recovery is a little bit different. The pain relief requirements in the first couple of days might be a little bit different. But by the time we get to about the four to five week mark, everyone feels about the same. Uh, people worry about initiation of breastfeeding. But again, the things that trigger breastfeeding uh, having the baby the yeah. placenta being out of your body and it it's not hugely important how those things happen for breastfeeding to be uh, triggered there may be some benefit to early success with breastfeeding if you've had a labor uh, a, a long labor uh, but much more important uh, is support in the first few days and education about about uh, latching and how often to feed and those sort of things. That's much more important than how you actually had the baby. And then moving down the track, the next big discussion is what about next time? And that's when it gets interesting, that whole repeat elective cesarean section versus feedback, vaginal birth after caesar discussion. Yes. And much, much further down the track, Uh, there are some implications if a woman's had multiple cesarean sections on how complex it might be if she needed pelvic surgery way down the track. So for example, if a woman's had four seizures and 25 years later, she needs a hysterectomy for heavy menstrual bleeding, that'll be a more tricky operation because there's four scars on the uterus, scarring the uterus to the bladder.
0: And so, you know, obviously the complexity of the implications just comes down to all those sorts, there's so many variations, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And things that can impact it, like the number of caesars, and, you know, and then what the future holds, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I think that's, um, that's really good overall information.
1: We wouldn't worry, for example, if someone said, you know, um, by far the wisest ways to have this baby is by cesarean sex. I don't think very many people think, well, what if I need a hysterectomy in 25 years' Mm -hmm. time? People are focused on the pregnancy they've got right now and the dilemma that's right in front of them right now. And the standard advice is to make the wisest decision for now Mm -hmm. and and, and and to cross the bridges of consequences later on
2: yeah and uh, a problem for future
1: us a problem yeah, was, for
0: future us yeah that's it like f- yeah future problem don't if only we all had a crystal ball mm-hmm. <laughs> that would all make our decision making a hell of a lot easier wouldn't it mm-hmm. And at the end of the day sometimes a cesarean a lot of the times, cesarean deliveries are out of our control and something that needs to happen and so it's just you know you deal with the implications later <laughs> yeah that's
1: right mm-hmm
0: amazing wow the lucky last question comes down to we've obviously covered a little bit about this whole implications of the pandemic on how i guess to make the most out of pregnancy care this final question came down to a little bit around what the birthing outcomes so far have been during the pandemic is there any current research that sort of talks about or shows what has i mean obviously you touched upon the reduced prematurity But has there been any other things that have come up around birth outcomes?
1: Well, yes, there has. It's mostly in the form of um, case reports uh, and little case series so far, because it hasn't all been going long enough for Mm. people to do major studies and report those studies yet. Uh, But um, one of the things that we know is that it depends where you're looking at. So in a low incidence population like ours, the outcomes are very good. Pregnant women seem to be at the same risk as anybody else in their age group of getting the coronavirus in the first place. And that if they do get it, it's no more likely to be more severe than anyone else in their age group. Mm. And that's important because that's quite different to something like seasonal flu. The flu Mm. we get every year, you are more likely to catch it if you're pregnant and it is more likely to be severe if you're pregnant, but that doesn't seem to be true of COVID so far. If you look at a a high incidence um, population, like some of the centers in China during the first um, outbreak, where lots of women were turning up at term in labor with COVID pneumonia, so they, were, they weren't just positive for the virus, they were actually sick, there was a much higher cesarean section rate amongst those women. Mm.
0: Understandably.
1: Well, that's mm. right. They might have been okay to stand upright and breathe in and out, but you throw labour in on top of that, mm. and suddenly yeah, the absolutely. fact that they had pneumonia was meant that that was, just wasn't possible. Mm. So for most people listening in a low incidence population, most of the interventions and most of the differences have centred around things we can do to reduce transmission so it's not like in Ballarat or Melbourne or anywhere in Australia we've got lots of people with COVID pneumonia pneumonia turning up to have a baby but we do have carriage within the community and there are things happening within birthing suites to reduce the chance of spread from a patient to a staff member or a staff member to a patient Mm.
2: because I'm not sure Jen whether uh, like uh, where your listeners are from from but a lot of the stage three and stage four information that we're getting about changes to the hospital protocols is for Victorians yeah. at this stage. Yeah. So, you know, there's been, like we alluded to before, there's been a lot in the on Instagram and in the media that, uh, that stresses everybody throughout the whole of Australia. Um, I'm not sure about globally, whether we have hit the global ranks yet, but um, it's good to remember that most of those restrictions or recommendations are happening for stage four Victorians. Yeah, because that's
0: the reality is, like, I mean, we're all in Victoria, so we're still very, very much in this nightmare of COVID, whereas the other states are, I'm not going to say living their best lives, but they're <laughs> definitely living a better life than Victoria. Yeah, right? yeah, I saw holidays. I saw people yeah. on holidays. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I just got off a meeting with someone who had just been away for the weekend. I was like, okay, you can shut up now. <laughs> 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 I'm getting a little bit envious, I'm not going to
1: lie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if you're in a city with next to no COVID, then you might find very few restrictions within your hospital. Uh, it might be, you know, largely business as usual, apart from a bit of social distancing and and, and an increased amount of um, hand washing, maybe a mask. But in a like Melbourne at the moment, there's more COVID around, and there's more and there's concern, more worry, and and more unfortunately more restrictions.
0: You know what I love though that I have taken away such a positive thing about it is that. First of all, pregnant women aren't more prone to it. So that is such fantastic news. And think about everything that's going on right now is that if you have got this fear of it impacting your pregnancy, that the reason why we're doing all of these things is to reduce transmission and therefore the likelihood of you ever, like these poor Asian women women who presented with COVID pneumonia at the time of birth, like how stressful would that have been? Whereas Mm. everything we are doing right now is to prevent that very thing happening. So that's really encouraging to me to hear.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And honestly, I don't think there's a single restriction. I hope there isn't a single restriction that's being applied uh, without the best of intention. Mm, Yes. I know
2: that a very recent one was the um, recommendation that water is not to be used during labour in a hospital. Mm, Interesting. Uh, yeah, Yeah, there was a lot of stress around that because obviously water is a great low intervention way of uh, having pain relief. But the big thing about that is when PPE is, PPE is wet, it doesn't work. It doesn't
1: work. So some people have been very upset ab- about that. But on the other side of the coin, there's carers saying, shouldn't we be doing the best we possibly can mm. to make sure that, uh, uh, that the tr- transmission between patients and, and um, staff members is as low as, as it can possibly get? Mm. and this is, these are extraordinary times we're calling on people to look at the situation and not just see the limitations as it applies to them mm. but the safety of everybody
0: oh, i think you've hit the nail on the head i think unfortunately some of those more negative views about all of this is that they're focused on how it impacts and not why we're doing it you know and if you actually yeah. go to the core of why of all this is happening like poor dan andrews at the time you know that that guy's cropping some flack at the moment it's <laughs> like
1: he started it isn't yeah,
2: it yeah yeah <laughs> it's like he's, he's
1: totally yeah. to
0: blame i know um, the poor guy I, would, I don't envy his position right now but i think it's right. such a good mindset thing is to realize that yes it 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 comes when when you react and you're disappointed it's okay to feel disappointed it's okay mm-hmm. to feel frustrated it's okay to mourn that you can't have a water birth for example but on the flip side why are we doing that? Like what's more important at the end of the day? So I think that's a pretty good, pretty good message. This has been such a great chat with you both. I am so grateful to have actually been able to, obviously usually the early parenting podcast is focused on the early parenting years. And it's so nice to bring it back to like so many of my listeners are gearing up into becoming parents. And this is just such a great way yeah, to talk about some of the things that's on everyone's minds at the moment. So I'm so grateful for, ha- for you both coming on the show. It's a been pleasure. a pleasure. Please tell me a little bit more about where people can find more information from you all about the kick because this is obviously just a little taster for what you guys offer.
2: So let yeah. us know. All right. So I think obviously come over to the kick pregnancy podcast. Uh, I think we've had 40 episodes released or something now about 140,000 downloads. It's quite exciting. Ooh, ooh. And then come and follow us on Instagram, which is at grow underscore my underscore baby and check out our program. If you really want that additional support throughout your pregnancy. Mm. So that's just on our website, which is uh, growmybaby.com.au. dot Incredible. Incredible
0: resources for all the pregnant mummers. And as you said before, Pat, I mean like the quality of the antenatal advice and program that you can get when you actually do dive into an online course, even beyond COVID, like there is going to be a time when we actually are outside of this, but never will you lose the ability to tap into an online resource that you can refer back to whenever the heck you want. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, yeah, I yeah. think
1: that's uh, really important and I mean I think I mean I hope hospital antenatal classes continue but I hope they're seen as the bare minimum.
2: Mm. Yes, not the exact. gold standard. Mm. Yeah.
1: Again, yeah.
0: that is like that is so well put because it should just be seen as the bare minimum because there is actually it is impossible to teach everything that's worthy of knowing heading into birth and beyond mm. in 2 hours. It's just not feasible. No, so right. I like that. I like that outlook. Well, thank you so much for both coming on and have a wonderful day. (laughs) Thank you for having us. See you now. Thanks for listening to the episode, Mama. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share the episode with a friend, with your mother's group or tag me at Jen Butler, early parenting on Instagram. The more that know about this podcast, the more people I can help. If you're looking for support that is personalized for your babe and tailored to your family's needs, then make sure to head on over to my website, www.jenniferbutler.com.au and check out how we can work together so you can move through motherhood with confidence. Catch you in the next episode, Mama.